everyone. Welcome again to the Bat-Ass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me is... Sean Murphy, your co-host. Yeah, and we, uh, we, <laughs> you know, we talked a big game about recording these in person a few episodes ago, and the last few have we've done remotely, and it's just been, it's been a horror show for various reasons. Yeah. Um, we're actually, it might not sound it because, you know, we're, we record separately and then put it together, but we're actually doing this over the phone, which is the first time I've ever done that. So uh, hopefully right. it doesn't sound completely awful. Yeah. Well, with the microphones we have and all the other stuff, I, I think we should be good. Plus, you can work your yeah. magic. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. After. But yeah, the last time we, we, we kept like cutting into each other and then there would be like a second delay and then jokes wouldn't land. And it's pretty painful to listen to that last one. <laughs> yeah, you uh, you should see the, the edit for that one. It looks like it looks like someone threw it into a lawnmower. It's it's absolutely insane. <laughs> well, I appreciate anyway. your hard work, man, because I don't have to do that. Oh, stuff. Thanks. I just have to show up and talk and say things. Yeah, you know, next time we get together, we'll just have to, you know, bang out four or five of them and uh, and feel terrible when we're done. Right? Yeah. Anyway, uh, today we're going to talk about two episodes. We're going to talk about Terror in the Sky, which is a man-bad episode. We finally get a man-bad episode after, like, three in a row that were essentially man-bad episodes <laughs> without man-bad. And yeah. uh, we're going to talk about Almost Got Him. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll jump right into Terror in the Sky. All right, Terror in the Sky, story by Steve Perry and Mark Saracini, teleplay by Mark Saracini, directed by Boyd Kirkland. And in this episode, when a giant-sized bat ransacks Gotham Harbor, Batman suspects that Dr. Kirk Langstrom is up to his old tricks, taking the man-bat formula again. Batman isn't the only one. Kirk's wife, Francine, is so distrustful of her husband that she decides to leave him. After further investigation, Batman discovers that this man-bat is not Kirk, but someone else, and thus he shames Francine's father into permanently destroying the formula. No, that's the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> Note, loosely based on Man-Bat Over Vegas, originally presented in Detective Comics number 429 by Frank Robbins, the setting has been shifted to Las Vegas from to, from Las Vegas to Gotham Harbor, and in keeping with the family-friendly rating of the television show, She-Bat is not a vampire in the adaptation. The final line of the episode, The Nightmare's Finally Over, is similar to one of the final lines from the original comic, Now Fran's Vampire Nightmare is About Over. Yeah. So, <laughs> we've finally uh, made it to Man-Bat, as I said, after um, two or three in a row that were yeah. just... Aching, aching to have man bat, and for whatever reason, they decided on cat people yeah. and werewolves. We, we need to have a series of episodes about animals, everybody. We need to do this <laughs> like four in a row. Everyone, you're okay with that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so strange. Like, why? Yeah. I mean, he was even in uh, what's his name? Langstrom was even in one of them. And for for a second, I was thinking. Um, I thought maybe they were actually uh, uh, doing something a little sneakier. That yeah. we just weren't picking up, and that this was going to somehow be like nope. a, <laughs> a like a backdoor trilogy or something, where right. it was going to turn out that someone like that weird guy with the bowl cut was involved again or something, something right. that was going to tie them all together. But yeah. no, it was just a man bad episode. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you like this one as much as the first man bad episode? 
You know, um, I, I actually liked it a lot, but not for probably the same reasons. Right. I thought, uh, especially the last few, I thought the animation has been really shoddy in certain places. I thought this episode, the animation was fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I th- yeah, yeah. I, it was a total show-off episode where it was like the the story was really loose. It was like a three-beat story that you could write on note cards, essentially. Right. And they just spent the entire time just kicking ass on animation and action sequences, and I thought that stuff was fantastic. Yeah, they had a ton of uh, like motorcycle chases, airplane stuff. Uh, yeah, air... Really, yeah, really interesting. I love the Batwing, of course. Anytime he gets to fly in that, I actually yeah. think his Batwing looks better than the Tim Burton design. Yeah, it does. It's a lot sleeker. It's a lot sharper. Yeah, um, H- having drawn both, like I really like the Tim Burton one, but it's sort of more circular and rounded, and it looks like yeah, a tiny, tiny sports car of the sky. Which you know, I'm all about sports cars. But there's something about the animated series one where I think that it doesn't. Lo- it looks good from almost every angle. Yeah, that Tim Burton one's weird because it's like I feel like they're working really hard to make it emulate the bat symbol on the on the chest, which yeah. obviously they do when he flies up into the moon. Yeah, but yeah, it it kind of it feel it it's it feels similar to a lot of the other design in that movie where it's it's it is rounded, it's it's yeah. very blunt, yeah. um, and it's uh, yeah, this one this one is just like a a, a slick rocket ship. It looks yeah. really really cool. I actually bought a uh, uh, unopened diecast model of this from the 90s um i oh, paid nice. like 20 bucks for it and of course it's the kind of thing you're supposed to never open but i needed mm-hmm. i needed to take photos of it and the way it shines and catches light it's kind of important to when i have to draw the thing because i had a scene yeah. where uh batman gets attacked by the uh the batwing um but yeah i love drawing it i wish i had more more excuses to put it in my book but um i, ch- I tend to go for a low-tech batman so i don't usually think about anything beyond a batmobile really <laughs> right right I was going to ask yeah. you, you mentioned uh, that scene in uh, 89 where Batman's flying around and in order to get enough speed, he has to swoop up against the moon for a split second. It's the bat signal. Did mm-hmm. you did you realize that his plane was the shape of the bat signal before he did that? Um, honestly, I can't remember uh, because I... I mean, I've I've seen that movie so many times, and I've, I've watched it since I was so young. I honestly can't remember if I if I recognized. I think I just assumed that it was. Yeah. Because um, it's fairly batty looking even before he does that. Right. But, uh, yeah. I, I. I. You know. Yeah. I may have. I may have even had the toy of it before I saw the movie. I'm not oh, even wow. sure. Yeah. I had not. I did not know that it was the shape. So when I saw it, I didn't see this in the theater. I think I must have rented it on a tape or something eventually. When that when he flew up against the moon, my mind was blown. Like my little ten year old mind just blew out my asshole. I could not believe how fucking awesome that was. Well, you know what's funny about that scene is, I I love that. I always have loved it. But if they did that in a movie today, I would roll my eyes so hard. Like that is a, that is a total like eye rolling wink at the camera moment. Yeah. And I I just love it. I don't know. I don't know if it's just cuz I it's been ingrained in me for so long. I don't know, but it's it's great. Yeah, I think it's 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 okay to do that stuff. I think if even if it's hokey and corny, I think if it's sufficiently awesome and it's a good wink to the real fans, I think you can you can always win with that kind of a, a a scene. Yeah, just like how in Batman and Robin he pulls out a Batman branded credit card, right? <laughs> Same thing. No, right? different thing, Clay. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, that just raises yeah, questions. The, like, does he does he sign up to a credit card company as Batman? Do they know that he's really Bruce Wayne? I mean, do they give him his own? Like, it's just this. Yeah, yeah that just, it's it's really it's really a bad move on his part because you know yeah. that that leaves a paper trail, and you can probably. <laughs> You know, he's probably had to have Robin or at least Alfred co-sign on the opening of that line of credit or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't um, think Joel Schumacher ever watched, uh, ever, ever really read a comic. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I was going to defend him for a second, but then I said it's not worth it because it's <laughs> like those movies are very comic booky, but not in like the the way that we would think of a comic book. It's the right. way that like the rest of the world thinks of a comic book. The right. People who aren't comic people. Yeah, that's what that's the giveaway. When he said I wanted to make a movie that looked like a comic book, I thought, yeah. yo, you haven't read a comic. You've just watched Adam West and you wanted to yeah. make a nineties version of Adam West. Like cause this isn't yeah. what comics look like, you know? Yeah, like like that first Hulk movie where they where they cut everything up into panels. Oh across yeah. Because it looks like a comic clay. That's that's called yeah. storytelling. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you, that movie is generally pretty bad, but the Hulk stuff in that movie is fantastic. When he's out in the desert smashing up shit, I love that stuff. Yeah. Is this what the uh, two uh, poodles? Yes. Did it turn yeah. into monsters? Okay, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, that... I saw that one. Yeah. Yeah, I did too. I loved it when I saw it the first time, and then I saw it again, and I was like, oh, no, yeah. I loved about 15 minutes of this, and then the yeah. rest of it was, yeah. You know, um, but uh, <laughs> one more tangent. Uh, and then we'll sure. get back to Batman. But <laughs> I was living in L.A. when they built a statue of the Hulk in um, one of the the, stu- the movie studios, whatever. And they built mm-hmm. the statue thinking that the Hulk would be a big hit. And, of course, it wasn't. So after mm-hmm. it sucked, I thought, uh, good, are they going to just remove the statue now? Because, you know, it looked just like the um, you know the actor from the original. Uh, sure. Yeah. Anyway, so then they decided to do another Hulk, and it was just redoing it. And I think that was the first movie I saw. It was sort of a trend of like, don't fix it, just redo it. Just ignore mm. the fact that we fucked up the first one and let's just make another one and just sort of change some things and hopefully that'll work. And I find yeah. that so completely offensive that the, you, you, you wouldn't just make it work the first time. You have to go back and like fix it. And it's just, I don't know, man. I, I guess it ended up working because eventually they did save the Hulk after three tries. Yeah, I think it gets weird as far as like rights and stuff go, you know, because it's like, uh, yeah, it's like uh, imagine taking White Knight and then they're saying, oh, we're going to make a movie out of this. And then you go, they go, thanks, we're just going to take this and, uh, you know, we'll give you some tickets when it's done. And then when you go see the movie, they completely changed everything because the people who were involved in it didn't care about the product or whatever. And I don't want to I don't want to generalize, but. Um, you know, that stuff happens. And it, so it doesn't surprise me that it took getting Hulk back into the Marvel fold and done by people who are Marvel people to, to get it to work right. Right. Um, it's like watching somebody. It, <laughs> it's kind of like watching somebody play a video game that you've already played mm-hmm. and they keep making a terrible, stupid decision. Like they keep going in the wrong door <laughs> and you're like, no, no, you got you got to go, ah, j- right. uh, just just let me do it. And then you finally get the controller and you do it and you feel good about it. <laughs> so the first Hulk movies, was it uh, Fox? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Or, yeah, Fox or Universal. I can't remember which right. one. Right. Before Fox was owned by Disney. Yes. Yes. And if you could but, go back uh, in time and tell them what, what was about to happen with who was going to absorb who and... You know how uh, 
Marvel characters are all going to come together. I mean, I wouldn't have believed it, honestly. It's just crazy. Oh, no. I I still think it's... it's <laughs> I, I still uh, talk to... Uh, you know, my girlfriend's younger cousins and my younger cousins who are huge into, you know, Marvel stuff. And I go, you don't understand. Hmm. When I was your age, if I said something about like, oh, man, I can't wait to talk about Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet with you. Yeah. Um, first of all, everyone would just stare at me because they didn't know what they, what I was talking about. And then secondly, they would never talk to me again. Right. Because it's <laughs> like that's the Infinity Gauntlet was like a deep cut even when it was popular. So right. the fact that there is the biggest movie in history features right. Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet and like Iron Man and Ant Man just con- continuously blo- continually blows my mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were all excited for the movie Sudden Death because uh, <laughs> because uh, Jean Claude Van Damme had a Spider Man like move, and you were yep. like, "That's just like Spider Man." <laughs> yep, I remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, back before the back before comic book movies came out, if anything was even like tangentially. Yeah. Referential right. to comics, I was all about it, and uh, right. you know, like Mallrats. Mallrats blew my mind because people were actually talking about comics the way I talked about comics. Right, and uh, so that was my favorite movie for like ten years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I gotta. I don't think I've seen that. I think I think uh, I've seen it. I would say don't watch it now. I don't think right. it's gonna. It, it doesn't hold up very well, unfortunately. Right. Well, hey, comics made it into the pop culture, so that's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if actual comic books would make it into pop culture and people would buy them, that would be fantastic. Yeah, that's the weird thing. All these movies coming out. I don't know if we talked about this, but a lot of the Hollywood sales have not translated into comic shops. You don't see people getting out of these movies, heading straight to a comic shop and buying a bunch of stuff. I mean, right. You think it would have helped us, but in a lot of ways, it hasn't. It sort of stayed the same, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not an insider, so I don't I don't know how these things work. But as someone who buys comics, mm-hmm. I think it's just hard. It's I don't think there's advertising for it for one thing. I'm, that's the thing that blows my mind. You've got these multi million billion dollar movies uh, based on these IP, and you can't take like thirty seconds before the movie to put a put a commercial out there about like, hey, yeah. uh, you like the Avengers? Well, go here's what's happening in Avengers comics or something, right? You know? Yeah, or, I mean, right. DC. DC has uh, content on TV almost seven days a week now. You can't you can't throw one commercial in there talking about, oh, you yeah. like Green Arrow? You know, Green Arrow is a yeah. comic book you can go buy. Yeah, I mean, um, so, okay, say a commercial is $100,000, and there are, let's say you send some of the people there into a comic book shop. Are they necessarily buying Green Arrow comics? Are they necessarily buying DC true. comics? If true. they're buying yeah. Marvel comics, then that, that, that backfired. Um, True. Yeah, I mean, hundred thousand dollars for a commercial is, is a lot of money, and I don't know if you're going to see that return. Like, it's, so yeah. it seems to me they're happy just to let comics be the cheap R and D department. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That that's what it feels like anyway. You know? Yeah. Um, but even then, it's like I've seen when like when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, I was with two separate people who went into a comic book store and asked for the first trade that featured that that version of Guardians of the Galaxy the first volume right. and it was out of it was out of print right which is which is insane yeah it's like it, you have this movie coming out that's hitting massively and right. you're hoping people are going to come to the stores and buy the books and your book and the book is out of print right i right. think you know i i think you're right i think what it is is they just they don't really care unfortunately it's yeah. just uh it's 
R and D. It's I. It's IP farming. Um, yeah. And it's w- comics. Unfortunately, is a fairly insular, um, small niche thing. Even though the right. stuff it creates makes billions yeah. of dollars. So I had to have one question about this episode. Um, yes. Um, it's about standards and practices. When okay. You, <laughs> when you see her as a monster and they show the mm-hmm. monster's nipples, is that okay? <laughs> Did they? Were there nipples in this oh, cartoon? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There were? If, uh, yeah, there were. Now, I the first scene, the monster, the man bat, is not wearing any shirt at all. You can just see nipples. Right. The second time you see it, the, the man bat is wearing woman's pink pants. So it's obviously... Langstrom's wife um, and then the third time she monsters out she's again she's still wearing like a, a torn draped white shirt that never quite fell off yeah. and uh, even when she's wearing that they still show her nipples again as she's a man bat not a woman are you are you sure I 100%. don't remember I I'm don't remember right <laughs> I'm, I'm I do not remember mo- monster nipples in there this are episode. nipples there yeah I'm watching it right now she's in the plane she's walking down the middle of the aisle right now her husband's freaking out and you can see her nipples I'm looking at them right now <laughs> and you're really looking I'm really looking <laughs> I mean you can't really be a furry because these, because I mean, these monsters aren't real that's true <laughs> yes Clay. well I mean technically it's technically it's just a giant bat so that would fall under the purview of being okay right so I get that you leave the shirt on her if you're going to hide her nipples mm-hmm. or if she's going to revert back to being a woman, you obviously need her to be wearing a shirt. I get that. Right. But right. as far as like, the, I would love to be in the meeting where they had to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you they had this conversation a hundred percent. And it's probably not the first time they've done something like that too. Yeah. I, I guarantee you the, f- if you think that this is weird, imagine the conversation they probably had about Catwoman and yeah. being a new, a nude cat person. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah. Um yeah. yeah. But I mean, hey, it just another another tick right. mark on the on the list of fantastic animation is, you know, uh <laughs> is the is the man bat nipples or the the she bat nipples. So if if his wife turned into a like kind of a man bat, but sh- she had boobs and she looked way more human, I feel like that would have gotten flagged. But the yeah, more oh, you push her yeah. over into monsters. So I'm curious where the line is where it's like, eh, you can leave them in, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> if they decided, if they decided that she had six nipples because she yeah. was an animal, would that be okay? Right. Or uh, if she was a cow, she would have udders, and udders are nipples, right? Yeah, man, cow. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Batman just tips him over when he's asleep. End of episode. Yeah. <laughs> easiest way, easiest way to defeat him because he can't get back up. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, you know, uh, what was I going to say before we started talking about this garbage? Uh, <laughs> have, did you notice how, how big of an asshole Batman is in this episode? Uh, I thought, I, I thought Langston was more of an asshole than Batman. I, how, how I, Batman was... just, Batman just kept coming off like a dickhead. Cause every time that he, t- like he didn't believe Langstrom for a second, right. like he right. didn't give him the benefit of the doubt. And then after he. After he found out that it wasn't Langstrom, that it was somebody else, right. he he says to him, "I found out that it's not you, so this gets us both off the hook." So it's like yeah. he, when he was, was worried. He was worried about his chemistry skills being taken to task. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Langstrom is such a dick. Anyway, I don't imagine. I mean, Bruce yeah. wants to help him, but he's not happy about it because the guy's an asshole. 
Yeah, yeah. And when Langstrom says, you've helped enough, like, no shit. He literally, he did help a lot. Like, it's because of his chemistry set that he was able to cure you, asshole. That's true. Yeah, he did turn you back into a human from yeah. being a gigantic You've helped enough, back. Batman. Blah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess Batman has some room to, to be a dick, yeah. I guess. However, sense, I think yeah. Alfred was uh, a pretty big dick in this episode. Yeah, well, that's, that's par for the course with him. <laughs> When Bruce is like, uh, can you believe there's someone talking about uh, some big giant bat shaped like a man? Do you know anything about this, Alfred? And Alfred's like, present company excluded? <laughs> <laughs> I love that Alfred basically acts like, you know, if if you have a friend uh, and then they're telling you about some a knucklehead friend of theirs who is constantly doing stupid shit. And then they're telling you like the most recent thing. And you're just like, yep, that sounds right doesn't surprise me you like <laughs> you just like take it in very sarcastically and just kind of quip about it right. that's who, that's what alfred is in this situation right yeah that makes completely sense. unsurprised uh, did you realize that um it was his wife turning into the man bat or when, when did you figure that out um i think probably around halfway like i knew it wasn't him i thought for a second it was the dad yeah uh but then i was like now nah, that's that, too that's too obvious. Yeah. What's actually nice about this story is like, you know, like I said, it's not super. Uh, there's not a lot to it, but they actually kind of give you enough that there is a bit of mystery to it. That's not uh, instantly uh, apparent. Right. Like having having those three characters instead of two characters, I think, just gives you a little bit more wiggle room. Right. Yeah. They um, have the, the misdirect with the father character. Yeah. I think the way she turns it, she gets uh, uh, drugged or whatever, is a little, it's fine, I guess. Um, right. You mean the way her dad uh, spilled the glass and she had to Yeah, and she, like, she cuts her herself. hand on the broken yeah. glass. Yeah. You see, I, that's, that's what, fine, what, bug, I guess. what bugged me is that was the point when everything comes into focus. And the only reason Batman figures it out is he doesn't figure it out guy, at all. Yeah, the yeah. guy tells him, yeah. The guy, like, has to think back and he remembers that his daughter cut herself while cleaning these dangerous chemicals. Yeah, like, no yeah. shit, dude. You're a fucking scientist. You didn't know that? I feel like they could it's, have had Batman figure it out or had some other solution to that because I just thought that was kind of weak. Yeah, I <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't stop thinking about the scene from The Naked Gun where uh, uh, they lay out all this information and then Leslie Nielsen's like, of course, I realize that. <laughs> now. Because, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that, like, he goes he goes to rough up Lanks, uh, the father and is completely unaware that it could be could be the daughter. And so right. he's, and even even the guy, he's like he's not even trying to tell Batman the truth. Right. Like he just it occurs to him as it's happening. He's like, right. no, I was working on this. To, oh, my God, my yeah. daughter. After he pulled a gun on Batman and he starts to think back to what happened. And oh, my God, it was me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's like he just remembered where he put his keys. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah, I you know, like I said, I I don't think the story is really is you know great shakes or anything, but I yeah. I think this is a case actually where the animation really does a lot of heavy lifting and is yeah. just so good. I mean, even the snow, the snow yeah. was awesome. Like that awesome uh, <laughs> the snowmobile bike that he had, which was just the regular motorcycle but with spikes on the yeah, tires. Yeah, spikes. I love it. Yeah, like that stuff was great. There, I yeah. mean, the animation, even even like little incidental stuff, like uh, 
when he first when Batman first gets into a fight with with uh, the she bat, um, there's this bit where she like knocks over the motorcycle and even that animation looked great like they actually did whatever the the 360 movement of a tipping over motorcycle would look like it looked fantastic yeah Yeah, when he's being dragged on the train tracks you get the swivel of it and uh there's another shot in the batwing where they they uh animate all the tech as it turns and heads right towards the camera and zooms in and that shit's not easy to do you know yeah and even they there was like little little uh, bits here and there like um, yeah. when when Batman first shows up at Langstrom's place when he comes in from outside he's got snow on his shoulders that he like shakes off of him which yeah. is like a tiny detail they didn't have to do you yeah know? Yeah, the weather in this episode is really fantastic. Like you said, the snow on all the buildings is great. There's a scene where the plane's taking off and it's starting to rain and sleet yeah that was cool and even the, the wheel in the ground is like kicking off snow and there's no reason for them to really do that it's not like a Mr. Freeze story or anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it didn't it was just winter in Gotham. You know, yeah. usually if they usually in shows like this, if they if there's snow, it it's either part of the story or it's like a Christmas episode or something. Or, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they just felt like making it snowy out. Do you like to draw snow? Uh yeah, because it's just white. <laughs> yeah, I do too, but it's harder than it seems because Yeah. You have to plan for it. Like, where do you stop the black? To, to where do you, you know you're drawing a fence and you're going to have snow on top of the fence. So where do you stop the black from going to the tip top of the fence? Do you draw right, an out, right. outline of the snow on top of the fence, or do you render the bushes behind the fence so it right. gives the impression of an outline in the foreground? Like little questions yeah. like that, or even you yeah. know the way uh, Zafino uh, drew snow is he almost inked it like light rocks or right. like uh, yeah. frozen frozen smoke. In a way, so his his snow had rendering to it. So I mean, you can really mi- turn up the contrast a lot, or you can sort of render more like Zafino did. Like I, snow is one of those things where it's like its own texture in a way, and every everyone has their own solution to it. Yeah, you know, it's um, I find the way people handle falling snow really interesting too. Yeah, because uh, I, I I like to I like to play with uh, um, the depth of snow a lot when it's like falling so you get like some big chunks in the in the foreground right. that takes up a lot of space yeah. and smaller ones in the background which gives you a lot, a lot of nice depth to it um but yeah and sometimes they can uh, uh what what I actually tend to do sometimes is I'll I'll hit it I'll I you know my stuff tends to be much you know uh heavier inked obviously as as you know mm-hmm. and uh so I'll hit it with some white paint and just like off of a brush or off a toothbrush or something. And yeah. then I'll kind of go in and I'll create the snowflakes or the chunks of snow afterwards, like on top of the, the, the blobs that come off. Right. Oh, um, I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah. And so that way, if you can, if you want to play with that, uh, I, I like, I like having some of it look like it's, you know, it's not fully rendered off of whatever it's touching. So, you know, yeah. so you're not carving it out with a line or anything it's just the white breaking the barrier and the other white kind of stuff right yeah yeah it's fun there's a lot of stuff you can do with it yeah it's funny snow is one of the things where i'm tempted to let the colorist handle it and i've yeah. never i've never done that because i i pride myself on not needing the colorist tricks to uh do things that i could easily do like i love right. inking i love inking rain I have good rain effects that I've sort of gathered, you know, with speed lines and splatter. Like, I, I can ink the fuck out of rain. 
But snow, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Do I grab the tiny micron, the thick one, and I'm just drawing circle, circle, blobby circle, circle, right. circle, smaller, smaller. It's like, ugh, it's just so tedious. It's like drawing um, broken glass. Um, yeah. Another thing yeah. I hate. It's just like, all right, stru- buckle, and you have 20 minutes of fucking trapezoids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. I, You know, I, I like drawing debris sometimes i think i think uh, depending on the debris it can really kind of bring your image al- to alive a little yeah. bit yeah um you know like the, the 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 trick that i use a lot if i have room for it is like blowing paper because you can you can if you just throw in some like sheets of paper or something that it, that look like it's kind of flowing in the wind it kind of yeah. it just implies action you know totally yeah 100 percent and uh, I'm I'm the same way with with broken glass. Like if I'm gonna break a glass, I'm gonna shatter the fuck out of that glass. Right. But yes, it is it is a pain in the ass to do. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, that's one of those things. Like I have ten minutes of patience to do this, and then I'm gonna shoot myself. So you know who's amazing at shattered glass is uh, John Romita Jr. Oh yeah. He yeah he's really good at it. Um, I'll have to find some some uh, examples and send it to you because he has yeah. like this this sort of like mid-range thing where he if you it, he he does a lot of spider webbing on the glass right and, it, and it's it looks a lot simpler once you really start looking at it so it probably didn't take too long but then he also does a lot of like pieces flying off and stuff that looks really great he's very right. good at it yeah i'm looking at it right now okay oh yeah it does look good tedious though again a bunch of fucking oh, yeah. tra- trapezoids yeah yeah uh, well, yeah. speaking of speaking of drawing stuff, uh, what would you what would you draw in this episode? You know, I, I thought the easy answer is the motorcycle with the spikes in it. Um, yeah. But there's a shot at the end when Batman and Man Bat are on top of like Brooklyn Bridge or something, mm-hmm. and um, Man Bat when he when you see Man Bat's POV, it's like a green acidic sort of palette, which is really cool looking. Oh, it's almost yeah, yeah. like it's almost like Batman against fire, but green instead of instead of orange and there's right. a shot where so batman like, so like worse yeah <laughs> so there's a shot where <laughs> batman appears and he's like standing on top of the wing hovering over it almost like doc brown in the delorean and back to the future yeah, too yeah. you know what i mean i just i love that shot it's super brief but uh, i would totally draw that yeah how about you um i would draw a snow fight i think <laughs> snow fight. yeah <laughs> well, uh, you know, Batman fighting in the snow. I mean, because I think that that gives you a lot of latitude to do some cool stuff. Like we were talking about as far as how the how the snow interacts with things. And, you know, yeah, I think that I think that would be a lot of fun to play around with. Oh, I thought you were teasing. Like, um, wasn't there an artist a while back who I'm going to get the story wrong. I'm going to make up names. I think it was Sam Keith, actually, mm-hmm. uh, who someone wanted him to do a story from Marvel. I think maybe it was Wolverine. And I believe he said, fine, but it takes place in a blizzard in Antarctica because I don't want to fucking draw any backgrounds. <laughs> and I believe that it came out. So I'm happy to be corrected on this, by the way, if we, if we actually know who it was and what the book was. Mm-hmm. But I remember seeing pages where a lot of the pages were blank because you had people wandering around in snowstorms or whatever. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm talking, I'm talking like in the episode, like snowy Gotham City Batman fight. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you were being cheeky. No, I, if I if, if that was the case, I would have said Batman in a fight with a polar bear wearing his Arctic <laughs> Commando gear, which is just white. <laughs> so Moon Knight. Yes, yeah, Moon Knight. Essentially, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, Bill Sienkiewicz, another guy who can ink the hell out of some broken glass. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tim Sale does a good job, too. Um, he kind of does what Frank Miller does, where he just takes a, a crow quill and inks j- j- different jagged, you know, trapezoid shapes, mm-hmm. kind of overlapping. He doesn't try to tint each one of them. They're sort of flat until they're colored, but it still kind of works, right. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what would you rate this one? Oh, um, I'm going to go three out of five three sorry five out of ten what is our rating system <laughs> one to five <laughs> okay one to five sorry who's this what's a batman i'm gonna go three out of five yeah i'm actually gonna go four on this one i think oh nice uh, based entirely on the animation yeah yeah because yeah i think it's i think it's really great i think it's uh they for whatever reason you know they usually pull out the big guns on like really important episodes and this is not one of them yeah. But they decided to just, uh, you know, kick ass for some reason. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, speaking of big episodes, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with Almost Got Him. All right, we're back. And now we're going to talk about Almost Got Him, written by Paul Dini, directed by Eric Radomski. And in this one, the Joker, Killer Croc, the Penguin, Two-Face, and Poison Ivy all meet at a poker table, each telling a tale of times when they almost defeated Batman. At the same time, Harley Quinn is about to kill Catwoman after she rescued Batman from the Joker's electric chair, and Batman must save her. Notes. Influenced by a four-issue story arc in Batman uh, 291 to 294 from 1977 called... Where Were You on the Night Batman Was Killed? In each of the four issues, one of Catwoman, Riddler, and the Joker all recount their claims to have killed the Batman. However, the plot for Almost Got Him is quite different, six stories in the show and four completely different ones in the comic book, with only the Joker as an overlapping antagonist. Two-Face's strategy in Almost Got Him, strapping down Batman to a giant coin and flipping the coin into the air, was taken from the comic, uh, World's Finest Comics number 30 from September 1947. In a backup tale, both Batman and Robin were tied to a giant penny that was catapulted into spikes by a lesser-known villain called the Penny Plunderer. I wonder why that guy didn't stick around. (laughs) The Penny Plunderer? Like, he trades penny stocks like Wolf of Wall Street? Uh, Let's see. Uh, The Penny Plunderer... (laughs) Uh, he first appeared in World's Finest Comics, uh, number 30, hmm. uh, uncredited story by Bill Finger. Art was credited to Bob Kane. Uh, he, be- <laughs> Joe Coyne, uh, <laughs> began his career selling newspapers, but he was soon caught stealing pennies. He now commits <laughs> crimes which center on pennies. In the Penny Plunderers, he leaves Batman and Robin in a death trap shaped like a giant penny with a penny each as a token of their worth. Just two cents. Wow. Batman turns the tables by using the coins to make a battery and signal for her. Oh, that's very in- inventive. Whoa. Uh, the giant penny often shows up in the Batcave is a trophy of Batman's defeat, the penny plunder. It's so crazy. Uh, that that coin is in everything Batman. Yeah. yeah and the origin of it is from, real dumb. <laughs> like the penny piddler or whatever. Penny peddler. Yeah. Yep. Oof. Yeah. So uh, what do you think of Almost Got Him? <laughs> um, yeah, this is a top ten, top ten for me. I'm definitely yeah. giving this a five out of five. Um, so 
I love the framing well, of device. The animation's amazing. The voice acting. I mean, there really isn't much wrong with this one. So let me ask you this. Do you like it more because of the framing device or do you think that it is actually like a really good episode? Because the reason yeah. I say that is because I think there's too many stories and I don't think most of them are very good. I think the penguins one penguin is really good and I think the Joker is pretty good, but the poison Ivy story is terrible. Uh, it's just I, not terrible. It's just it's it's too quick. They're too fast. They're not yeah. they're she, they're not really. There's not much there. You know, is she this episode with her. I mean, this mini episode. She's come closer to capturing Batman before. We've seen her right. get, get closer than this. Yeah, of yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> she 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 chose the time that she had a bunch of exploding poison pumpkins, pumpkins over the yeah. time that she uh, turned his butler into a dead a living tree. Yeah, and uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's it's a weird choice for her. You know what? She should have finished the story, and they're like, "Didn't you turn his butler into a tree yeah. once?" <laughs> I feel like that was way closer to getting it. Yeah. So, because yeah, when when I got done with this one, I was like, "Yeah, that was really good," but I feel like I liked the concept and the execution of the concept more than like the stories they're telling. Yeah. So the idea is a cool gimmicky idea. It's a quick elevator pitch. You could see why it's like, "Oh, that sounds awesome," because it's so it's just so different. And you yeah. do get to see the, the, all the villains working together. And you get to see how they relate to each other. You know, like Poison Ivy used to date Two-Face. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think There's a lot of benefits you get out of putting all the villains together in a poker game and seeing what happens. Yeah, um, I, I, having, I definitely, I definitely yeah. think that's where the money in this episode is. Is, is uh, yeah. you know, No pun intended. Poor Penny Plunderer. Right. Um, <laughs> I, tell me, tell you me, know, he at least look like Abraham Lincoln, the Penny Plunder. Uh, I don't think they have a picture. No, I don't have a picture of him. Wait, hold on. I mean, if he's uh, all about pennies, no. he's got to look like Abraham Lincoln. No, he just apparently just looks like a a cup a dude. Does he ride around in a giant unicycle with a penny? No. Nope. Uh... <laughs> based on based on this one picture, I can see from the the cover of or the first page of the issue he was in, well. he's just a guy. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Bill Finger, for nothing. Uh, you know, but you do have the opportunity to take this character, and I mean, yeah, White Knight Three. No one would see that coming. <laughs> it was the Pendy Plunderer all along. Him and the Condiment King. <laughs> um, I do like uh, Clayface's story of how he almost got him. Uh, I think that Clayface is not in the. Sorry, episode. sorry, yeah, Two Face. Oh, right, uh, right. Yeah, I think the Two Faces flashback or m- vignette is, is pretty successful. Um, yeah, I like that one because it is completely insane and it is completely yeah. psychosis based. Where, right. Where, where uh, yeah, he's like, uh, I'm going to tie you to this thing and I'm just going to flip this giant coin. You're right. either going to live or all of your bones are going to shatter. Right. Yeah, I and love that. The, yeah, and then he's undone by his own coin as he always is, which is right. nice. And uh, yeah. although when the when the coin after Batman and Robin get off the coin and it does get flipped, it does land on two of his henchmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those guys are probably dead. <laughs> They're temporarily squished like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Clay, They're fine. <laughs> but yeah, if this was an adult show, then yeah, they they'd be dead. 
You know, uh, interestingly, I'm, I'm looking at some of the trivia here. Uh, Paul Dini had originally written that instead of using exploding pumpkins, Poison Ivy instead set Christmas trees on fire in protest to them being chopped for the holidays. That's, that's According brilliant. to Dini on the commentary broadcast standards and practices, there you go, had him change it and he opted instead for Halloween pumpkins. Uh, right. Bruce Tim thought the pumpkin idea worked out much better. Well, having her like breed a kind of Christmas tree... And then everyone in Gotham buys these trees, and these trees can, like, explode on command or something. So she basically puts a stick of dynamite in every living room in Gotham. That's pretty awesome. That's a That would be a pretty good Poison Ivy story, actually. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought that's what you were saying. Oh, no, that that's... Uh, that's what I, I thought that's what he wanted to do. Uh, no, it says uh, she, she Poison Ivy set Christmas trees on fire oh, to protest no, my them idea being is, chopped for the holiday. See, I, yeah, I no. guess as I was hearing it, I was making it much better, you know, yeah. I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, um, I had a, a Paul Dini story uh, once we're done, by the way, before I forget. Sure. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I think, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I think the, the flow of this one is really good. Um, aside from, aside from Poison Ivy's story being kind of short, right. uh, I like that they do two in a row and then they, they do the killer croc bit yeah. where he's like, I, I, you know, I threw a rock at him. It was a yeah. big rock. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I had a call back to that in, uh, in white Knight. I just thought it was nice. amazing. So I, I uh, don't, I forgot the killer croc. When you first meet him, he is more uh, methodical and maniacal and less of a dipshit. And yeah. this this episode, because the one quote you everyone remembers from this uh, series about Killer Croc is, I threw a rock at him. Yep. So you, he, you think of him as a moron, and he really isn't. But then you realize that he's not actually in this episode. Batman is. And Batman yeah. is doing an impression of Killer Croc, which shows yep. Batman has absolutely zero respect for Killer Croc. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is how cool a croc sounds. I, I do rock at him. <laughs> but the clever thing how is, how long do you think he's? How long do you think Batman like stood in the mirror in full costume and tried to work <laughs> out that impression? I thought as a kid, I thought, did he take him out when Killer Croc went to the bathroom, or has he been Killer Croc this whole time? Yeah, and I guess he's been Killer Croc this whole time. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing was a big setup. So yeah. I bet uh, Batman's kind of a method actor. I bet he goes all <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis on this shit. Yeah, yeah. I I would say probably yes. Either that, <laughs> I mean I can either that he was just so pissed off that he had to do it. He's like I have to I have to play Croc. I could right. have played I could have played anyone and I had to play Croc. Yeah, I know. Too big to play the Riddler. I want to see the version of this where he plays Poison Ivy. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, uh, does anybody want a salad? <laughs> I har Hi, Harvey. We used to date. <laughs> yeah. Um, the um, uh, Penguins vignette, I really love in this. Yeah, I thought it's great. The, uh, it's not an ostrich. I forget what this thing's called. But they had a nice like Velociraptor-style rendering of yeah. this thing. And uh, I think it's the best penguin I, you ever see in this series. Yeah. It's just in this yeah. vignette, you know? Yeah, I thought that one had the most tension to it, 100%. Like, yeah. the Poison Ivy one didn't really have much to it. The Two-Face one is kind of fun, but it's, you know, it is, it is it's kind of silly. Yeah. Uh, the Joker one is just way over the top. Uh, but the but, Penguin yeah. one is, yeah, the Penguin one was, was really, really good, I thought. Yeah. I was going to say, I, you know, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I do agree with you that I think this this episode gets a lot of points because it's a neat idea and it stands out from all the other episodes and, you know, calling it almost got him 
is perfect. But yeah. when you get down to it, um, it's not as strong as uh, Heart of Ice is or some of the other stories that we that we like. Yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah conceptually i think it's really great you get to see the uh the villains in a way that you've never seen them before like we've seen we've seen them a couple episodes ago all kind of bumming around at arkham asylum but actually seeing them kind of hang out and uh interact i kept thinking of um the hugo strange episode where penguin two-face and joker all show up to uh buy the tape right and how that was kind of fun and yeah. it would be fun to see more of that. And it's like it feels like that's where this might have come from. Is they're like, oh, we should get these guys together. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, when I watched this, I realized that I might have stolen an idea from this accidentally. Um, again, again, put yeah. it on the list, man. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, there. When we start this off, everyone's playing cards, and you only see their hands. They're yep. cards, and if, if they're drinking something or if they have anything near them. So you can kind of define each villain by what he or she is doing with his hands. Yeah. And it's something that I did um, when I have Jack Napier go to meet all the villains. They're all drinking. Oh, that's right. And instead yeah. of like, I show, so I gave each person a booze that fit their personality. So yeah. for a scarecrow, I gave him pumpkin brew. For uh, <laughs> a penguin, I gave him like ice pick vodka. For Two Face, I gave him in one hand like a forty. In the other hand, he's got a glass of Chardonnay. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Baby Doll has a sippy cup. Killer Croc is drinking from like um, uh, moonshine. And uh, I thought I was really proud of. It. I thought I was really really clever for all of them, except uh, I got to um, for the Riddler, and I'm like, what the fuck does he drink? Like puzzle bourbon? I have no idea. <laughs> So I, I gave him just a flask with a puzzle piece on it, and that's all I could think of. <laughs> nice. All right. I like got every a other one I'm you. really proud of. Go ahead. I got a question for you, though. How does Mr. Freeze drink that? Oh, yeah, Freeze isn't in that scene. Oh, he wasn't? Oh, okay. No, no. Penguin oh, that's had right. the yeah, ice he, pick vodka. I guess he wouldn't have been, yeah. Yeah. Mr. Freeze would okay, be, be crunching on ice or licking the yeah. inside of his like head <laughs> container. Um, yeah, no, that, that's, uh, uh, it, that is a really, a really fun way to, uh, to do an intro. And I mean, it's great. They, they've got the Joker cheating at cards, which is fun. Yeah. And, uh, I forget what Two-Face does, but he's like got a pair of twos or something like that. Yeah. They, they did a nice job. And you know, that whole, that whole, uh, room that they're in is really fun too. Like it's very minimal. It's very, you know, high contrast. And uh, I love the background work that they do at one point where uh, is it after after Ivy shows up? Yeah, she need, uh, Croc needs to get a chair. So while everybody's talking, he's in the background, like tossing somebody across oh, the yeah. room and stealing their chair. Yeah, that's when I thought maybe that's when Batman took over his body or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think it's overall. Yeah, I think it's great uh, for what it is. Um, I wish the the stories were had a little bit more punch to them, but I, I it is it is another one where I feel like the um there's other stuff that is elevating it uh, aside from just the story, you know. Yeah, and I, I love how at the end they bring it all back with Catwoman too, where she you know tries to make right. out with him, and then she flies away, and she says, yeah. I "Almost got him." Great ending. Yeah, that 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 yeah, that hook is really great. That last line, but she's another dam. She's a damsel in distress again. Like I just feel like Poison Ivy is more, you know, strong powered woman than than Catwoman is. That's 
That's a tough one, though, because, I mean, technically, Batman's just saving her after she saved him. Mm-hmm. So I don't oh, know yeah. if, uh, you know, I don't know if they cancel each other out there or what, but right. as far as the, uh, you know, point system for that goes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she's she's kind of underutilized. Not that she has a lot to do. Harley's in there, too. Harley, Har- I think Harley's pretty fun in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, the whole black and white sequence of him and the laugh-o-meter is pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a sucker for the black and white televisions they have. <laughs> yes, <laughs> or, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think if I had to draw something, it would be Batman strapped into the laugh-o-meter. I think that'd be pretty good. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome, actually. I was actually... I'm I'm such a... I'm so, I'm so lazy. The thing... <laughs> I, <laughs> I was thinking... No. <laughs> no, well, the thing that I would love to draw is I would love to draw that poker scene. Because you've got the the hard lighting mm-hmm. and uh you know on, on the people playing poker and all of the uh the shadows and stuff in the background i think would be a lot of fun right. i love the way they do the thing where even though it doesn't make any sense where the light shines on croc and then it comes away and you see batman totally and it comes back and it's croc that's great yeah that's that's brilliant a lot of yeah it doesn't make there, a lick but... of sense but it looks great yeah that's that's the best that's that's one of the highlights for me anyway you're right catwoman yeah. does show up to save him first i forgot about that um Sorry, I'm just kind of watching it while we're talking. Sure. Yeah, you know, I, I, have I complained about poker tables before? <laughs> I feel like you have, yes. Okay. Least favorite thing to draw. I hate drawing them. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what episode I went on a rant, but uh, I don't draw poker tables anymore, poker games. I don't want to draw chips, it... cards, money. It's just all the shit that goes onto a poker table is not fun. You're drawing an octagon in perspective. From now on, if I ever get that in a script, I just change it to pool table. Oh, I see. Okay, so yeah. See, the shape is the hardest part. If it were me, I 100%, I would just draw an ellipse. I wouldn't even yeah. try to do like an, an octagon or whatever it is. Or go all Mignola and draw it edge on and then just draw money stacked up. So you don't have to draw yeah. any like faces of any presidents. Exactly. And, that's what yeah. that's what you do is you draw it uh, high shadow yep. So you or heavy shadow. So you've got like all you're seeing is maybe like mid chest up is lit. Yeah. And then their hands is all black behind them, and you see, like, the white of the chips or whatever, but the the surface that it's on, you do not see. Right. Yeah. Genius. <laughs> Brilliant, man. Good job. <laughs> uh, so is that, is that what you would draw, the um, the poker scene? Yeah, I think, yeah, I would. And I think the reveal of Batman would be pretty fun to do, and, uh, you know, all that. I think there's, yeah. a, uh, there's a lot of fun stuff to do in there, I think, yeah. So what, they came uh, out... So- Sorry, they, they they came out with a card game of this last year. Called oh yeah, almost, I was going to mention that. I didn't know if you had uh, if you had seen that. So I bought it and we tried to play it. It was terrible. And uh, uh, that's a bummer. Instead of throwing it against the wall, I decided to sketch inside of it, and we eBayed it an hour later, and I sold it for like two hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Someone owns it. It's a terrible game, but at least mine's slightly more valuable, I guess. And trying to draw inside a box, like holding the pen you know kind of choking up on it like drawing yeah. it you know it's not not easy to do i wish i took a yeah. picture of it but yeah <laughs> it's a terrible game that's, and, that's, uh, that's a pretty that's a pretty solid fuck you to that company though <laughs> i mean they, there's another one right now um i think idw put together a batman game and it's uh you know it's a mini gotham city and you're going around doing stuff i haven't played that one either but just the the graphics on it annoy me. The cover of it annoys me. Like the Bruce Tim style isn't that hard to draw. You can't get someone to do a better job to mimic that. Uh, I'm sure the gameplay is ass as well. But yeah, 
Well, know. I guess I guess we won't be getting a free one now. <laughs> like if you get it and it sucks, I'll just draw on it and we'll just tr- <laughs> trade the money for beer. Um. So you're gonna you're going five on this one. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry. You can't say four on this, and you're I basically know. admitting this is as good as the last episode. Yeah. I no. Yeah, okay. You need to go. Right, you need to go week week five. <laughs> yeah, I'll go five. I think I think it's it is it is five worthy, just barely. I think you like to be a smartass, and people are all like, "Hey, what's your favorite episode?" You can't wait for someone to say, "Almost got it," and you get to slowly drink your drink and put it in the middle of the table and be like, <laughs> "Actually, guys, maybe it's just a gimmick." <laughs> you know, it's it's funny you should say that because. <laughs> No, not necessarily. <laughs> However, I do have a I do have a, uh, uh, a a stance that I stand up for anytime I get a chance to, which is that uh, you know the 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 episode, the Star Trek episode "City on the Edge of Forever," mm-hmm. where they go back in time and they you know uh, well if we, yep. if the girl dies then the if she doesn't die then World War II never happens or I don't know whatever right. Uh, and that's always cited as the greatest Star Trek episode of all time. I very much do not agree with that. Right. So anytime it comes up, I'm always the first person into the breach to be like, um, I don't <laughs> think so. And uh, it almost never goes well. But I, I always enjoy to do it because I think uh, you got to open your mind, man. Yeah. You, gotta, you could just be smart and go, hey, I love that episode. But I think a really underappreciated one is, you know. I don't even see, know. The one see, that's how I. Like, that's yeah. That's how I lean into it, and then at the end, and I say that's why it's better than City on the Edge. Of oh, and then you go into the, the, the kill <laughs> at the end, the fuck you at the end. <laughs> and if you want to hear my thoughts on that, check out the Penske File podcast when we talk <laughs> about Star Trek, which is the episode where um, they have the baby in it. Uh, it's oh uh, yeah, uh, Corbin maneuver. Yeah, yeah, I like that one a lot. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah, and the my other one favorite, where uh, my, they're in the submarine. I forget. It's that's favorite my one favorite too. one. I think that's. I think that's the best original series Star Trek episode is Balance of Terror, where it's basically yeah. a sub submarine fight. Right. Uh, but I, I won't go into that shit here. I've got. Yeah. I've talked about. I talk about that stuff that's all fair. the time. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's gonna do it for this one. Next time. Uh, oh, so let me talk about Paul Dini. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Please do. So uh, yeah, you know, honestly, it's not really much of a story. I I I know a lot of. We know a lot of the same people. Um, he and I probably have around the same Twitter followers or whatever. Um, I'm not sure what comics he's writing right now, but I've never actually met him. Uh, I've met Bruce Tim, who was really mm-hmm. great, um, and I'd love to meet Paul Dini because I don't think there's another comic book writer that has touched my life uh, in such an important way as he has. Um, and he, I think I've chatted with him briefly on Twitter before, told him how much I liked Harley Quinn, but I've never actually like geeked out on him or anything like that. Um, so he retweeted or, or made a comment about Curse of the White Knight. Um, I drew a variant cover of Harley Quinn. It's, of course, the classic Harley. And mm-hmm. uh, he was commenting that he really liked that she was still... The, the, the way I was handling her or whatever. So um, I'm, I wrote him... I think I was a bit drunk, and I'm like, hey, you know, <laughs> you what you did... I, there would be no White Knight without Paul Dini... Uh, you know, I went into that kind of stuff, and then I said, uh, you know, when you were working and you thought, you know, one day the next, you know, Frank Miller or the next whatever, hopefully that, that kid right now is age 12 and he's loving this stuff. And maybe one day, like, he'll take the baton and run with Batman. And, 
Like I'm telling you right now, Bruce or Bruce Tim, uh, Paul Dini. Like that kid is me. Like I, I, I went all the way. Yeah, I, I grabbed that trophy. So then he DM'd me. He's like, hey, let's let's take this, this you know, love fest offline. So we're chatting, and um, I said, um, yeah, I just I I he oh he wrote me and he goes, I can tell you really love Harley Quinn. He said, I you really understand that her costume is not the gimmick. Like she her. Her secret identity, uh, what should I say? Her, the, the costume on Harley Quinn isn't her leotard. It's the fact that she pretends to be a ditzy blonde. Mm-hmm. And she almost acts that way to get people around her, usually men, to lower their guard. Um, but, you know, she's very manipulative, and you forget that because she's so cutesy. And mm-hmm. uh, he said, you know, reading, you know, White Knight and Cursed White Knight, it's clear that you, you really get that. And he also compared her to um, Bugs Bunny. He said uh, Bugs okay. Bunny is because yeah. he, he used to write Tiny Tunes as well back in the day. Yeah, um, and he said Harley Quinn is like Bugs Bunny in that if Bugs Bunny admitted that he was smarter than everybody else, then he would turn into Wiley e. Coyote. Yes, which, yeah, which wouldn't work. So that's kind of where Harley Quinn is. Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, it was a lot of that stuff, and I, I was really excited to chat with him. And I, I, I said, let me send you some art. He's like, oh, if you send me art, let me pay for it. I'm like, no, honestly, I, I mean it. I wouldn't have these pages. I wouldn't be working with Harley if it wasn't for you. Like, please. Um, so he's like, okay, I'm going to send you an animation cell then. So very excited about that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really yeah. cool, man. And yeah. you and you totally remembered to plug the podcast, right? <laughs> no, I didn't. Well, that's the thing. I Because, I mean, if people were reviewing my stuff and they were not so keen on every single issue that I put out, I don't know if I would want necessarily want to go on their podcast and be like, "Hey, I heard what you said about these episodes. Like, I like those episodes. <laughs> Fuck you for not liking, you know, Day of the Werewolf or whatever." <laughs> well, you know, I'm just I'm gonna pick the worst episode we do, and then I'm gonna send it to him and be like, "Can you believe what Sean said? Your new friend Sean." Well, that's the <laughs> new friend Sean. Well, that's the thing I do worry about is, you know, I'm this guy's doing Batman now, and I have some pull and some sway and some tension on me, and doing a podcast where I'm reviewing someone else's work, even though this, these cartoons are 20 years old, 25 years old, I mm. do kind of think like, you know, maybe it's not something I should be doing is reviewing them, but hopefully it's obvious that these come out of a place of love, you know, even oh, criticisms come out of a place yeah. of love. Yeah. Everything you just said, I'm going to cut out anyway. So no shit. But <laughs> <laughs> me defending myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Please get rid of that. <laughs> But yeah, I was uh, uh, I geeked out and I ran to my wife. I'm like, "Oh, Paul Dini just wrote me," and she's like, "Who?" So I, I texted yeah. my friend who's a Harley cosplayer, and I'm like, "Crystal, guess who just wrote me? Paul Dini." She's like, "Oh my god!" So you know, yeah, yeah, that's awesome though. That's super cool. Yeah, I hope I can meet him one day. I I remember bringing up that I had a chance to go um, travel with him and Frank Miller last year that I didn't take. Um, oh yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. I kind of wish I had, but again, I don't know. Maybe he's polite on DM, but in person he's super awkward and doesn't want to chat to me. Yeah, every, everybody, everybody's around. You'll run into him eventually. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's that's awesome, man. Um, so yeah, that's gonna do it for this one, I think. And uh, next time we will be back with Birds of a Feather and What Is Reality. And uh, if you like the show, if you got any questions or anything, shoot us an email at batasspodcast at gmail.com, B-A-T-T-A-S-S podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on, follow us on Twitter at batasspodcast, at B-A-T-T-A-S-S podcast. 
and you know, if you see someone walking down the street wearing a Batman shirt, I don't, you know, even if it's like a five-year-old kid, just get in their face and say, <laughs> "Listen to the Bat-Ass podcast." You know, it'll, it'll, you'll do better in life if you do. <laughs> so, a, uh, yeah, and buy curse there. and buy Curse of the White Knight. You know, I don't think I don't think it's doing very well sales-wise. So, someone should probably you know go out there and, and do Sean a favor. Yeah, I'm happy to report that the reviews on issue two are much are are, are better. I was starting to get worried because people were sort of confused that this wasn't a political thriller again. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, I was getting a little nervous about the reaction. So when I started to see the uh, reviews come in for issue two, I think it, people sort of understood, like, oh, we get to where this is going now. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So. You, you, and I, you and I talked about that after the first one, and exactly what we were talking about is, is what's happening, where it's I think people are realizing that the first two are kind of like a one, uh, like a two-part pilot episode almost, right. where it's kind of... Yeah. You know, the first part is a little bit slower, and then the second part, it kind of comes together, and you really yeah. see where things are going. So well, that's that's the trick, though. And I don't know when there's a good time for you and I to talk about this on a podcast. But do you write it episodic, or do you write it keeping in mind that for 99 percent of its life, the story is going to be a trade on a shelf, all right. of it together, with no month delay between chapters? Yeah. You know? yeah. So how yeah. much do you re- re- review? How much do you have to go back and remind people what happened last month? Um, or right. last series, you know, so it, it, I mean, I guess everyone's different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a different time now. They used to, you know, uh, you remember old comics used to have the, the yeah. editor's note, note, note editor's the editor, boxes. Yeah. yeah. This, this happened, uh, two, two months ago in, in Superman number three or whatever. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. I thought about bringing that stuff back, not on my books, but if I had that right kind of book one day to sort of do notes from the editor or whatever, just to yeah. bring, bring I mean, back thought balloons again. Yeah, I've seen a few people doing that. Uh, you know, actually, uh, who did that really nicely was uh, Jason Aaron when he was doing uh, Jane Foster Thor because mm. he had J- uh, the Thor version. At, at, while she was Thor, the way she talked was very much Thor, but the way, but then he, she, he would also do thought balloons where she would, it would be very much Jane Foster's voice. Gotcha. So, and, uh, you know, before you found out who that character was, uh, you just had these two different voices going on, which was actually a really nice way to handle it. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Oh, yeah. to correct something I said in the last podcast, I, uh-huh. I told a story how I did a book with Jason Aaron that had mm. geeky vampires in it. It was not Jason Aaron. It was a different Jason. Uh. It was a writer, yeah. Oh, <laughs> as, I, I I was, as I was listening to it, I'm like, oh, shit, I hope I correct this before the end of the episode, and I did not. <laughs> so Jason Aaron, I know you're not listening, but I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> it wasn't you. It was some other Jason. Well, I'm going to be cutting this, too, as well. <laughs> Great. Be, but anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, that's going to do it. And uh, next time, thanks for listening. Next time we'll be back with Birds of a Feather and What is Reality. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.